afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Chrysell and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9, and streaming at AM 1290 KZSB. We're repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and at Montecito's Upper Village. At Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. Happy Hi. Monday. Happy Monday to you. Um, I'm very lonely though. My oh, wife has been alone. My wife has been away for a long time, and I don't know how to cook, so uh, I'm just sitting here trying to survive. Are you just trying to make me feel even worse about canceling lunch on you today? Yes, but that's true. It's it is all true. I just want to get some sympathy. <laughs> I like sympathy. <laughs> Well, good. Well, I'm glad that we actually have one of your friends on for some extra human, you know, interaction for you today. We have Jill Feldman, who's the president of Strategic Development Associates with us today. Jill, welcome to the show and thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Diane and Neil. I'm very happy to be here. So uh, our first article today was in uh, this weekend's Wall Street Journal. And um, it's about uh, employees becoming shareholders. And there's an initiative called Ownership Works, which is backed by 19 leading private equity firms that are trying to create a $12 billion wealth fund for employees. And um, this is like the old ESOPs where uh, private companies would provide a way for individual employees to own a piece of the company. And the idea behind this is with the shortage of employees and with people switching jobs, uh, creating um, a form of ownership, whether it's through ESOPs or some other device, would uh, make people less likely, make employees less likely to leave. It also would, they expect, to make employees more sensitive to uh, profitability, as opposed to individual employee uh, e issues that sometimes are in conflict. But the article points out that there are some problems with this approach. Uh, first of all, the uh, 1920s had a, uh, a number of companies share uh, the shareholder uh, title with employees. And then 1929 came along. And that uh, ended uh, the, the glossiness of owning a part of your company. Again, one of the problems with owning shares in the company that you work for, if the company goes out of business, you lose your assets as well as your job. And um, this again happened when we had a resurgence in ESOPs in the 80s. We ended up with Enron and Burlington Industries and other uh, companies that ended up uh, going under and it took uh, the employees' money with them. So it is in concept a good idea, but when you make employees that don't have the wealth of uh, senior management uh, put a lot of their savings into the company they work for, there is some uh, risk of over leverage being the sense that leverage being the job and your equity. Say it's a matter of diversification. That said, I think it's important not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. As you know, the the examples that the article cited in the '80s of the businesses that went out of business, you know, that isn't how it always went. And I have seen through my experience of people actually building wealth through through their employer private ESOP plans. And so I, I do think that there as more and more of our social safety net goes away in this country, it's important to kind of brainstorm new ways for how employees are going to retire and be able to, to live 
with our greater life expectancies with really less than than what our our uh, you know forefathers fathers had to deal with. You know, one of the things that makes me a little bit cynical is that this initiative is coming from leveraged buyout companies, private equity firms. And, it, you know, it just could be a way of uh, 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 not having to pay their employees so much because you can pay them with uh, stock. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, my The second article is really the second hey, and third. Yeah, can I just one thing? Sure. Do you think that that, though, has anything to do with more people working from home and feeling less connected to work? And would this maybe you know, another way for people then to feel more engaged in their jobs or more ownership? Or do you think it's just a more of a, what you said, a cynical, kind of a cynical approach to, to getting more money? Well, it's related, obviously. Uh, it's related in the sense that when employees are not interested in the old work rules and either are leaving or don't want to go back to physical work, uh, adding uh, a bit of equity certainly could be a motivating factor. So it's a good point. But also, I think what's important is it's it's giving in this as an employer, it's very difficult to attract employees. And I don't know what what happened to all the employees from pre-pandemic to now, but the pool of applicants is so small and there are so many companies vying for these employees that I think it's it's a creative solution to compete with that technology sector, which many see as you know, the stock options that are going to help catapult them into wealth. And so I, I do see the cynical side, like you say, but I also think it's a really a creative solution to a problem employers are having right now in terms of attracting and maintaining their workforce. Of course, one of the issues that the article doesn't also mention is that so many employees are working paycheck to paycheck. So the idea of uh, not only uh, maybe reducing their uh, increases in wages, but uh, maybe even reducing them in order to get uh, stock options that may not vest for 10 years may not be the solution that works uh, for a lot of people in low paying jobs. Uh, the next article, and I mentioned it has, you know, is two articles. Uh, this is the first time on this, I, I found this to be the case in, in the, on the same day, Friday last week, both the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal had exactly the same article, not not because of press releases, but it sounds like they just pick up this subject just independently. And the title is uh, of the one from the New York Times, from blue collar to new collar, and from the Wall Street Journal, a four-year degree isn't quite the job requirement it used to be. And what the article is focused on is uh, that quietly over the last couple of years, again, in order to um, deal with this labor shortage, companies are now eliminating college degrees from many of the job openings and um, are training people without college degrees to take on jobs that could be um, uh, highly paid, technical specialists, cybersecurity jobs, for example. And um, the, the, the pathway to success uh, is beginning to uh, include people who are um, not college graduates. And it's really you know, quite important because um, when you screen, this is from the article, when you screen employees for college degrees, you are eliminating 76% of black adults and 83% of Latino adults. And so uh, by DUCSB, uh, creating is a track to get a good job without having a college degree, if it works, is really a very inclusive, very uh, uh, development that could help not only the companies, but could help people as well. I, I think that's so great. And it's also this idea of maybe a college degree helps you with some things, but there's this whole thing, you know, on LinkedIn, you have your micro credentialing and you've got, you've taken this course and you've done this thing. And those are really practical, pragmatic skills. And those are the things that you need, especially in a tech related job to, to be able to, to do your job. So I mean, yeah. anything that reduces the barrier seems like a great idea. Yeah, and I would hope that it goes the other way too. Uh, I think colleges need to, universities need to have more critical thinking and emotional intelligence teaching because that is a is a skill that really makes a difference in success in business. And it's not you know just how to code; it's also how to get along with people. 
the last article is sort of uh, similar to the last two, um, and it's about Starbucks, uh, new, new, new old uh, Howard Schultz is taking over his company again. And the first thing he did was uh, stop the corporate buybacks. And um, while it's not exactly the same thing as what we just talked about, it uh, is um, similar in that he believes in order to, again, cynically avoid more unionization, but also he, in fairness, has been on the forefront of of pay and uh, benefits for uh, part-time workers, is trying to find ways, rather than buying their own stock back, of making the environment better for uh, their employees. So all in all, with these articles, you're seeing that it is possible that the shortage of, of employees may in fact, over the long term, uh, benefit uh, the country and, uh, and employees when uh, more people are considering their well-being than just maximizing corporate profits. Right. It's interesting that you say that because in the state of California, we're, we're doing a test pilot of a four-day work week. Well, I have a zero day work, work week now. So <laughs> I all be as fortunate as you. Neil. So how come with a job shortage, no one has offered me a job? I've been retired for 25 years. You want to know what? You need to change your little circle on LinkedIn that says open to hiring. What's and then LinkedIn? Your job what? offers will start rolling in. What's LinkedIn? You're listening. <laughs> you're, we need to take a break. <laughs> you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9. And we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Jill Feldman with us today. She's the founder of Strategic Development Associates, and she also is, do we call you a professor? Um, my students call me professor, so yes, it's professor okay. Professor of the TMP program out at University of California, Santa Barbara. So Jill, thanks so much for being here with us today. And so let's talk a little bit about you 
and where you come from and what exactly is Strategic Development Associates. Okay, well, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. And I can I do one small segue too, which is kind of from the earlier discussion about employees and corporations. So I'm, you guys might not be aware of this, but the I just find this very inspirational, actually. So the Business Roundtable of Leading Corporations, which is a, basically a consortium of, of top companies, in August of 2019, updated their definition of the purpose of a corporation. It was just when we were talking earlier, I was thinking of it, that I went and looked it up again. And so basically, they moved away from, from just, just about shareholders and profitability to more, more of a focus on stakeholders. And so that is employees and it's the community and it's the environment and it's the suppliers and, and the customers, not just the shareholders. Yeah, and, you know, and it's funny that you bring that up because Neil had that article when we first started. And ah. we, I think we asked ourselves at that time, Neil, I think the question was, you know, how will that substantially or materially change? And I think to date, I'm not sure what we can well, what the verdict is out yet. The, yeah. the verdict is that they've basically talked the talk and not walked the walk. Hmm. And that the, the pressures of corporate profits, which drives stock price, which drives options, which is how most executives get paid, is so um, powerful that most companies uh, have basically uh, done lip service to this. There's some, some now in the company defense, though, we have been living through a pandemic, you know, it came out and then we've been in a pandemic. So it's somewhat well, hard to be too critical, but I hear what you. Well, you know, you could have said that companies during, you know, COVID should have been a little more uh, kind to its employees uh, and not been so worried about uh, whether the, or not they're going to be hit. But it's easy for me to say, but the reality is that uh, ever since uh, uh the 1960s when uh, the Chicago School basically uh, created this sense that corporate profits are the only reason corporations exist and that corporations, uh, that, that uh, executives have to follow that rule at the exclusion of anything else has really, I think, hurt the American worker and ultimately has hurt you know, American's economy. And, and if and if elected, was I running for office then? Just then, I... <laughs> if only you were a guest, Jill, in twenty twenty, it was Neil for president, and every every episode yeah. ended. Oh boy, Neil Chrysler for president. Terrific. <laughs> so let's segue back, Jill, okay. to you. Okay. So where are you from? Where do you hail from originally? I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, and the south southern suburbs of Chicago, and. Um, Let's see, I took a somewhat circuitous route, but have been in Santa Barbara for about 19 years. Um, my husband, Arnie Breyer, is from here, grew up here, actually moved here when he was in sixth grade. And we actually live down the street from his, his parents' home, which is very nice. His mom is, is down the street from us. So um, it's a beautiful community. We love it, obviously. And uh, it's a nice place to, to go away and come home to also. So it's uh, absolutely. And so now you hold an engineering degree from the University of Michigan. Is that true? That's right. And so at the time that you were at the University of Michigan, was that um, were you one of few women in the program or was it more of a 50 50 like it is today? Definitely few women. And um, it was a, it was really a, I mean, I can give you just a little bit of backstory. So I was a, I went to Michigan. I was always good at math and science and, and like those and thought I would be pre-med and I got to Michigan and um, honestly I had never heard of engineering before because that wasn't my father was a small businessman and that was kind of all I knew and um, I kept hearing about engineering and it's like wow this sounds great and particularly industrial engineering which is what I did was more kind of math and business oriented than the other engineering disciplines. So um, I really kind of fell in love with it. I transferred in in the middle of my sophomore year and just, I mean, I still use what I learn basically every day and in, um, in what I do. So mostly kind of from a, a, an approach and a framework. So the, the engineering approach is take a big problem, divide it up into little problems, solve all the little problems and add it back together and you can figure out the big problem. And I, and I use that really almost for, for uh, 
everything that I do. So it's a, it's great. And I st- actually stayed involved at Michigan. I was on the um, Industrial Engineering Advisory Committee for many years. I was the chair for a couple of years, ending in 2019. And that was a total, total nerd out, fun way to go back to the school. And it worked out well because my son with my daughter was there and then my son was there. So it worked out. It worked out pretty great. And um, it's always fun to go go back for football games and go and, and geek out on everything. And so graduating from the University of Michigan, you know, when I look back at your at your impressive career, you know, you've been at Verizon, Merrill Lynch Capital Markets, McKinsey. How did you translate your engineering degree into it looks like a McKinsey consultant? So the, the industrial engineering is a very broad kind of discipline and people go into lots of different fields, a lot of hospital things and looking at industrial engineering has a lot to do with um, efficiency and how to do things better. So that translates to a lot of different fields. Um, People go into industry, manufacturing and things like that. And I I was actually had accepted or got a job offer from General Motors in Flint, Michigan to be a line manager at a Chevy stamping plant. Um, which does not sound really fun. And it didn't sound like, oh, that sounds like shucks, you missed that opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't want to do that. So I had actually applied to. I think uh, Jill has got frozen. So I think it's a good time to take a break. Oh, are you back, Jill? You froze for a minute. Oh, I did. Oh, sorry. So could you just repeat that? Um, what, What was the last thing? So you didn't take the job at in Flint for the stamping line manager. And right. then what did you do? And then the, I was had been accepted to University of Chicago Booth um, Graduate School of Business and to go straight through. But I knew I really didn't want to do that. So um, I, I mean, there's a little bit of a backstory here. I was kind of going to go there. I didn't exactly know what to do. I was visiting a friend in San Francisco. I was in Chicago at the time. And, and, and I said, I don't really want to go right to school, I want to work. And they said, well, there's these consulting companies and they have, they're called business analyst, analyst positions that you do for two years. And then you go to business school. I'm like, wow, that sounds great. And they said, there's one called McKinsey and Company. I'm like, wow, that sounds great. And so I, they, I contacted them and they said, come on in and visit us. And I borrowed, I still remember, I borrowed my friend's business suit, went in and talked to them. And they said, when you get back to Chicago, talk to the Chicago office. And I did, and they needed first, they had one person, they needed a second person. And that was me. And that was kind of a, just a lucky, really lucky thing. Um, Cause it was the, just a wonderful, wonderful experience and just amazing, brilliant people. And, um, and I really loved it. It was a very eye-opening experience that kind of set me, kind of set me on my course for the, the rest of my career. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service, every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds. And most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who... Worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone... Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. 
Hey, this is Ellen DeGeneres. We all have a vital role to play in helping California communities, firefighters, and first responders battling wildfires throughout the state. In this time of crisis, the entertainment community unites in support of those keeping us safe. Join us at musicforrelief.org fire and give to provide firefighters with the critical equipment they need to protect our neighborhoods. That's musicforrelief.org fire. Thanks. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. Diane? So so if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Jill Feldman with us today. She is the founding, she is the founding partner of Strategic Development Associates. And so Jill, tell us what Strategic Development Associates does and how you use your strategic consulting and marketing research. Sure, so we do strategic consulting and market research, uh, primarily serving technology companies um, and local and kind of worldwide actually. So, um, and really working from startup onto multinational companies. So the I have this discussion with people a lot, and that is the the companies that are open to using my services, which is basically, you know, analysis. Not everyone is open to that. So it really has less to do with the size of the company um, as it does kind of the mindset and the culture of the company. So that's it's kind of been an interesting thing. I could work with startups who are yes, we want to hear what you have to say. And, you know, big companies that say, no, you know, my gut tells me this is the right thing to do. That's what I'm going to do. And so they're, they might not be interested. So that's, that's kind of the, the common thing that I see across my clients is they are interested kind of in that external validation, external viewpoint type of, type of approach. Um, and how and I also COVID... actually have, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and I also, sorry. How has the COVID and the pandemic affected your business for the better or were companies not, um, not, you know, taking you up on your, your services because they were just frozen given all the uncertainty out there? For me, it's really been, it's worked out great. It's been wonderful. And I think those who are interested are still interested. Um, I would say I was probably more impacted by the recession back in 2008 and that had much more to do with at that time. So market research is a big component of what I do and quantitative and qualitative and the tools like SurveyMonkey started to come out back then. And if you guys, I think you guys are probably familiar with that. So it's a very inexpensive kind of market research survey tool to use that a, that a person or company can use very easily on their own. And so it, it kind of democratized the business. And so people were like, well, why would I use your services if I can do that for free? And so it really caused me to rethink, you know, where can I add value with my clients? What am I doing that is, is useful to them different than, you know, if they're able to, to do a, implement a survey on their own, where can I really help? And what I really found that I'm adding value basically in helping them think about why are you doing this? How do you ask those questions and kind of formulate it? Then they could go ahead and, and basically do the survey. And then I'm very, uh, my, the other big value add is the analysis and the evaluation and the recommendations and, and that kind of thing. So it did, it was a pretty big shift for me kind of in, because I had always worked with software firms to help me do the surveys, but now companies could do it themselves. So it was really great that shift, but it, it was, it was a bit of a shift. And for me, COVID really, it really wasn't. Um, as I said, the companies that were interested were still interested. So um, luckily it's, it's do, 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 vent, do venture capital and um, uh, angel investors who have an investment in a company that need direction ever call you in and say, you got to help me out to help them out. Absolutely. And so there's things, you know, you, we're all familiar with due diligence, but you can also look at strategic due diligence, right? And say, what's going on with the company strategically? What are they working on? Or, 
what are their stakeholders? You know, what's the, uh, let's evaluate what stakeholders, kind of back to our earlier conversation, what do stakeholders think? Um, and so then it might be like in-depth interviews or something like that going out to key stakeholders, whether it's customers or investors or the public or, you know, suppliers, whatever it is, and understanding what they think and getting kind of a more holistic sort of 360 degree view. So, and that's also obviously a lot of that also involves looking at you know, who are key competitors. So a competitive analysis and, you know, what are the competitors doing? What is that? That's something that I do pretty regularly, what I call an industry and competitive analysis, which is what is the whole, what does that industry look at, whatever industry we're interested in? What does it look like? What are the key strategic issues? What's the competitive set? In other words, who are the key competitors? what's likely to emerge as important strategic issues in the future. And then I might say, well, here's what I think it's going to look like five years from now. And here's what I think, you know, you should do venture capital firm or client or whomever based on the analysis that I've done. So there's, there's kind of, there's almost always a market research component to the strategic work that I do because it always involves, almost always involves talking to people. Kind of, and so is that what you teach at UCSB, that market research component and through the technology management department? Um, I have. I, I actually designed and, and taught a market research class, market research for business. And that was, um, I did that for a number of years. That was that was just a great experience because it's kind of the thing that I live and breathe and, and, so, and so passionate about. And it's less about the software tools that you can use, because there are many, as we just started talking about some real basic ones to very sophisticated, but more really understanding what is the purpose of market research and how do you do things in a way that you get actionable results that you can re that you can rely on. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, that, that's been really fun. I, I have loved doing that. And currently I've been teaching a, a business strategy class, which is kind of the the first class that students, undergrads take um, when they're entering, basically entering the, the technology management program. And so tell us a little bit about the program because before the show you had mentioned <laughs> that it's actually gone from a technology management program to a department. So share with us what those what that implies and what implications and positives you see for, for the community. Sure. So it's a it's a program that has been around in, with different names, I think, for maybe 15 or at least 15 years, maybe even longer than that. I think it was called SEAM at one point. Um, and it, it was basically there is no business school at, at UCSB. So it was, I call it business school ish. And there's always been a focus on entrepreneurship and technology um, and organizational management and all those things coming together is really what the, the program is about. Um, what's very exciting is that I think five years ago, the uh, master's, master of technology management um, was developed and that's initiated and has been running for about five years. And there's also a PhD program, which, which is also new. I think about this, maybe even, that might even be six years. Um, and and the last step is the undergraduate piece. Yes. So that's been a, a, a certificated program for many years, which meant you would still have, you'd still be a econ accounting major or global studies or whatever it was. And then you might elect to do the technology management certificate in addition to whatever your major and minor is. And you have to take X number of classes and get certain grades, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and now becoming a department. So that, that just happened. And I think that means basically um, it, you can get a minor. At some point, it will be that you can actually get a minor and then a major. So it becomes a, its own legitimate department as part of the College of Engineering. Have you found that uh, entrepreneurs, particularly those that are heading up a startup, uh, can be resistant to outside advice? Because in order to actually start a company, you really have to have... Uh, a sense that you're right, or you wouldn't go through all of that aggravation and all that risk. So is I know this... my husband always asks me about his new ideas and I'm always like, no, that will never work. <laughs> and then there it is. It's a business. Um, I think it's, it's a balanced thing, Neil, because you have to, you know, you have to be single-minded, but you also have to have the humility um, to be open to ideas and to keep learning and, and that kind of thing. And I think it's, when you veer too much on the, it's only my idea thing, 
it, and it's much harder. I've noticed because I'm actually an angel investor. It's, it's harder to get people to invest in you if you don't look at all open to, you know, to new ideas, new information, et cetera, that strays in any way from what you, you know, from what you believe. So I guess it, I guess my answer is it, it depends. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. The Father Virgil Cordano Center takes care of the homeless and less fortunate in our community. The center is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. The nonprofit organization provides a place of welcome and support. Here's Regina Ruiz. We have about 50 joining us every single day at the Father Virgil Cordano Center. So we get them haircuts. We refer them to Catholic charities to get clothes for work. We have computers there on site so they can search for jobs, do their resume. We also serve and we do have volunteer opportunities. We could always use your help serving the meals. So come out, learn more about St. Vincent's and the Father Virgil Cordano Center and share the love and compassion that you have in your heart with others in need in our community. To learn more about the Father Virgil Cordano Center, to make a donation or to volunteer, go to fathervirgilcordanocenter.org or call 805-563-1051. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who... Worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone. Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So Jill, before the break, you mentioned that you were an angel investor. Is there some specific segment that you look to invest in or or what are the criteria? Just a good idea or do you have a niche? For me, definitely technology. And um, actually with some other folks, we have explored the idea of being in, you know doing angel work just for women-owned businesses or minority-owned businesses. And that's a fairly popular thing. And we kind of investigated whether we could do that locally um, with this, with kind of a Santa Barbara based crew. The, the challenge is deal flow. So you have to, you know, you have to be in a position where you're getting things sent to you um, that you can look at and evaluate. And that's, it's like a funnel. So you got to be at that end of the funnel. And that was because I don't think we'd have any problem with our group being able to do the evaluation, having enough funding, but it's actually getting the chance to look at things um, to make that initial investment. So we we kind of looked at it, but didn't continue. Um, I hope we kind of pick it up again because I think there's some, it, it, it would be really fun and, and wonderful to kind of do that. But there are national organizations that do specifically that. So there's, there's always ways to kind of, um, kind of participate that way. Now, do you find a lot of your ideas or the people that bring you the ideas are your former students or current students for um, angel investment? Well, one of one of the, if you guys are not aware, but the one of the best things about UCSB and technology management is the new venture competition. And that happens annually. And Diane, I know you mentioned uh, John Greathouse is one of your friends. He's a, he's a big part of that. So that's a wonderful program. Uh, Dave Adarnetto runs it at UCSB. It starts in the fall when students will come and it's 
undergrad students, it's PhD students, it's kind of anybody who wants to participate. They get involved, they say they want to work on a startup, maybe they have an idea, or maybe they just want to be part of a team that has an idea. And so they'll get matched up with teams. Um, and then they spend basically the next nine, almost nine months getting mentorship from folks in the community, learning about the different, you know, the finance, the cap table, all the things, the things about leadership and, and Neil, what you were talking about, kind of social skills and all these things that they learn about um, how to do validation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, how to do market research and things like that. And they will go through this, if it's a pretty rigorous um, many months that they do in addition to their normal schoolwork and whatever else they do. And then in the um, towards the end of the school year, so I think that April 28th, I think is the, um, is the fair, kind of the, the, the um, venture fair where all the teams that have put something together will go and people will come in. And I'm very happy to say in person this year. And you go around, it's kind of a poster thing and the, the students will be out there and you can ask some questions about their their company and what's going on. And then there's there's basically a vote. And then I think six or eight teams are chosen as finalists. And then they do a bigger presentation. Um, I believe it's in May. Um, and then a winner is chosen. And as you guys probably know, some amazing companies have come out of it. Um, one of the earlier, um, or not that early, um, was at Folio, or sorry, um, Appeal Sciences. Um, and that's uh, the founder was a material science PhD student um, or PhD grad. Uh, and um, Inogen is another great one. So it's been. Uh... Jill, it sounds like you have, you know, really taken on um, the professor role well. And so it's been. So within that role, is that how you got involved with the MIT, the formerly MIT Enterprise Forum? And tell us a little bit about its new name and your role in it, since you're the big cheese. <laughs> um, well, it's I've been involved in that, I think, for about eight or nine years. And it was the MIT Enterprise Forum. We're a, kind of a business networking organization. Um, and for, I think, about 30 years, MIT had all these little satellite groups um, around the world. There's one in Israel, San Diego, Boston, New York, et cetera, and, and little Santa Barbara. And we kept really kind of punching above our weight. We would always have really great programs um, and, and lots of participation and things like that. So that's, so I've been involved. I was the nominating chair, I'm now vice chair, and then I'll start my role as chair in July. And um, it, it's great timing because we have we have been virtual for the last two years, um, and and that was hard because really the best part about I think the best part about our organization is the networking and the chance to meet new people, um, and you know, and the chance to kind of be together and socialize and things like that. So, and then great programs, very informative programs on top of it. So. I've attended many, and it's such a wonderful organization. I'm curious as to why there's been a name change, and, and does that mean a content change or a shift of focus? So that it came as a little bit of a surprise to us. MIT said um, we're no longer doing the enterprise forum. So we actually kind of, there was actually a little bit of like a board structure. We would tell them these are our board members, and there was a little bit of a relationship. Um, and, and they told us, I think it was a year ago, they said, we are no longer doing that. And so many of the chapters folded and our, our group, our board decided that we didn't in fact want to continue. So we um, embarked on a whole rebrand, name change, et cetera. And um, we had some great people um, on our board, Marge Large, um, uh, it, I'll, to tell you the other names as well, um, who just were fantastic in kind of putting the marketing end around this thing. And uh, we all worked together to come up with a name that reflects who we are. Um, so in some ways it's freeing because um, a lot of people were like, well, what, what MIT does this all have to do with MIT? And it's like, not really. We would always try to have MIT representation on our board and we still have some fantastic smart people who are on our board from MIT, um, 
so our mission kind of came, stays the same. We're emerging venture and technology forum, which we think reflects what we do. Um, and, and always try to find things that are interesting, get people together, educational, um, and, uh, and very excited to be back in person. And so what's, what, what program, upcoming program can you share with us um, to get people excited and, and want to come, come back in person with you? So the next program is called the Circular Economy. And the date is, I have to tell you this, right? The date is a week from Wednesday. It's Wednesday, April 20th. And we're at the newly remodeled uh, Rio bathhouse. Um, and so very, that's where we had been for many years. Then when they remodeled, we went to some other places and then we were of course not going anywhere. Um, so this would be our first legitimate in-person. We had a networking event uh, last month, which was great. So this is, I hope people come out. We're actually doing it in conjunction with Earth Day. So that's a big interest for a lot of people. Um, and my dear friend and running partner, Kathy King is on the panel, who Neil knows. And um, so we're very excited. And basically the idea is what, you know, if you package something, you have to figure out the whole way to, to take the packaging or whatever it is that you produce the whole way through so that you are not, not making things worse in terms of the climate. So it should be a little, hopefully a little provocative and interesting. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about Before it. Before we break to commercial, share with us if somebody's interested in learning more about the MIT, or I guess it's now called Ventech. We're going to make the change right here and right now. What website should they go to to, to find out more about Ventech? Go to ventech.org, and that will give you instructions to sign up and attend. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back with our final segment. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. What if every child was sent on the right path, stayed in school, graduated college, got a job, and gave back to the community? What if every child's potential was fulfilled? It could be the start of something big. Every time you donate your time or money to Big Brothers Big Sisters, it helps make a big impact on a child's life. Help us start something big. Visit sbbigs.org or call 805-965-1001 to learn more about Santa Barbara County's Big Brothers Big Sisters program. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So Jill, I know that you've been involved with many nonprofits here in our community, and I just wanted to get a sense from you you, you know, what the state of the Santa Barbara nonprofit community is, and if you could share with us some the projects that you've worked on with them. Sure. And um, we have an incredible 
nonprofit community here. That's, I mean, I think that we would all agree with that. So um, generous, um, you know, so many different kinds of things that people are supporting, which is wonderful. Uh, I would say that, and maybe that's a little bit of the problem that there, there's so many and people are so interested. I think that there's maybe in some ways, some inefficiencies that go on. So it would be, you know, I think it's very hard if you're doing a nonprofit and someone else is doing a nonprofit and you're very similar. Um, a, from a business perspective, we would say, well, you guys should probably merge and, um, you know, do things more efficiently, have one source of raising money and things like that. But that's not always the case because people are so um, passionate about what they do. So I think that I guess if I had to say one thing, it would be it would be wonderful if more nonprofits could think about how to run their nonprofit model like a business, and that's um, that's a hard thing to do. So because people are often leading leading with their hearts, and that's what makes them so wonderful. But I think having that little bit a little bit more of a business point of view would help them be be more sustainable in the long run because we want them all to be around, you know, ten years from now. But if they all are trying to get funding from the same source or they haven't developed a sustainable way to, to stay doing what they're doing, they won't have the chance to do that in the future. You know, so. your description of what an engineer does, uh, which is to take all the problems and divide them up into little pieces and solve each one of them, could be used for not only businesses, but for not-for-profits and for marriages. <laughs> uh, it's, it's sort of an all-purpose skill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate. <laughs> Very true. And so now when you, the what work have you done with nonprofits? Has it been more on the market research side of things? Um, so some of the I guess the there's two that I would mention. Uh, I did work for it was a number. Oh, I think we've we've lost Jill. What? Um, the foundation gives money to many, many nonprofits in town. And so we took a look at what was the best way for them to do that. Um, and, and one of the big ahas that came out of it, um, I think, is, can you guys hear me? I think I Well, but you, you, we, we missed, you froze, we missed the name of the, of the charity. What was the name? Oh, the Santa Barbara Foundation. Oh, okay. And um, so we looked at nonprofit excellence and, you know, how best could they support the nonprofits that they provide funding to. Um, and uh, one of the really interesting things to emerge from that is that their nonprofits come in many shapes and sizes. And so you can't just talk to nonprofits as a group. It was really important. This was kind of the big aha um, was that you have to think about North County nonprofits versus South County nonprofits. You have to think about kind of the the mainstream big guys, and then you have to think about the more progressive startup nonprofits, and they're all very, very different from each other. And for, for the Santa Barbara Foundation um, to be able to, to serve them and communicate with them effectively, they really had to rethink that. that. Thanks. Thank you, Jill. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for all you do for all of, uh, all of the community and for all of these companies. Uh, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week. 